Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, listener mail. This is Robert Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And it's Monday, the day of each week that we read back messages sent into the Stuff to Blow Your Mind email account. If you have never gotten in touch before and you would like to, give it a shot. You can reach us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Uh, let's see, Rob, I think I'm going to kick things off today with a response to some of our older episodes on numeracy, the human number sense. All right, let's have it. This is from Charlotte. Charlotte says, hi, thank you for a great podcast. A while ago, I listened to your episode on numerosity and the approximate number system, where you mentioned that we still don't know much about the etiology of this phenomenon, where it comes from. Uh, therefore, I would just like to highlight that I published an article last year on the heritability of the approximate number system in infancy. This is the first study on the heritability of the ANS, the approximate number system, and the uh, largest infant twin study in the world. We found that the ANS was partly heritable, but also largely influenced by factors unique to each twin. Uh, not sure if this is interest of interest to you, but here's the link anyway. Best regards, Charlotte. Uh, so, oh man, I love getting email like this. Always love to hear from a researcher uh, who's done done direct research on a topic we touched on. So I looked into this paper. Uh, this is by uh, Charlotte Victorson et al., uh, published in the journal Developmental Science just this year, 2023, called Infant's Sense of Approximate Numerosity, Heritability, and Link to Other Concurrent Traits. So uh, as Charlotte said, the, the paper is looking at the approximate number system, which is a very interesting ability that that we have in our brains. Uh, of course, it's obvious that we can uh, look at two groups of objects and tell which group is bigger by counting the objects in each group. But actually, we can do it without counting. So the approximate number system is the ability to distinguish the numerical magnitude 
of different groups of objects without relying on language or symbols. So in effect, to be able to look at like uh, two groups of things and know which one has more in it without counting. And this applies typically to groups of items greater than four. There's got to be more than four numbers in it. Uh, when you're just comparing like two of something to three of something, apparently the brain uses uh, a different system. But obviously, this is of paramount use in our lives. We use it all the time, in fact, without even realizing we're doing it. So like the the approximate number system is how you can look at two bushes that each have hundreds of berries on them and just immediately see that one bush has more berries than the other, even though you didn't count them and you didn't rely on any words or numbers to form that judgment. Uh, and so uh, I was doing a bit of background. The The accuracy of a person's approximate number system, uh, it seems, is usually measured by finding the smallest ratio of difference that you can reliably tell apart without counting. So, for example, if you show me two scattering, you flash at me two scatterings of red dots on a screen quickly, I might reliably be able to tell that a group of 130 dots is greater than a group of just 100 dots, but I cannot reliably tell the difference between 105 dots and 100 dots. And so from there, you would keep on sort of narrowing it down until you eventually determine what the threshold is, like how big the difference needs to be before you can usually tell them apart. And that might be a difference of 10% or 20% or whatever before you reliably get it right. Uh, with babies, uh, which are studied in this this paper, obviously you need a different kind of test. I think they used a gaze tracking apparatus to see what the babies were looking at to uh, determine whether they were sensing novelty. Just strap that right under their heads. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it turns out we do have a sense of uh, for approximate numerosity, even in infancy, before we can count at all. But it's not super well developed. It's certainly not as well developed as it will be in adulthood. And this paper in developmental science, uh, where uh, our, our listener here was the, the lead author, it tested 514 five-month-old twin subjects. And I was just thinking, wow, that must have been... A, the process for assembling that sample group must have been interesting. And it tested them to figure out what portion of the infant skill for approximate numerosity is heritable. Of course, studies on identical, uh, identical twins are very useful for figuring out to what extent things are genetic or heritable. Uh, and the authors write, quote, we found a small to moderate but statistically significant effect of genetic factors on approximate number system acuity. Uh, but only when differences in numerosity were relatively large, such as in a one to four ratio. So uh, to the extent, you know, that there was evidence for a genetic difference in how babies can tell uh, the difference in, in numbers of objects, that difference in acuity only manifested for big differences in numbers for babies. Hmm. They also found that this acuity uh, for finding difference in approximate numbers was, quote, not positively associated with concurrent attentional, cognitive, or motor abilities. So in a way, it seems to be sort of its own thing. Hmm. Fascinating. So anyway, thank you so much, uh, Charlotte, for, for getting in touch, for sharing relevant research with us. This is one of my favorite kinds of emails. So researchers out there, if you're listening, if you've published a paper on a topic we talked about, you want to share it with us, and especially if you want to uh, explain it and offer some interpretive context, please always send it in. Contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. It is absolutely of interest to us. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right. We also heard from folks already about our Future Shock series that we're doing, um, revisiting the, the topic of uh, Alvin and Heidi Toffler's Future Shock from 1970. Um, I'm going to start off with just a couple of messages from our Discord server. Now, if you're if you're wondering, well, whoa, there's a Discord server for stuff to blow your mind. There is indeed. And if you would like to access it, just email us at that email address that we just shared with you. And we'll share again at the end of this program. Anyway, one uh, user named YMZ says, quote, Rob's wife cracks me up. Future shock is not real. I feel the same way, but I'm still enjoying the discussion. And then uh, we had then one of our um, listeners, uh, Steve here, I believe, chimes in and says, I feel it is real. What Joe said about AI killing day jobs for various artists trying to subsidize personal work, not the soulless stuff that AI scraped, homogenized, plagiaristic generations so often are, is spot on. Radiologists, surgeons, and many other professions are already being affected. This does not have to be a bad thing, but it is already happening, even though many experts said just a handful of years ago that these changes were at least a decade away. This episode is pure stuff to blow your mind gold. I would add that if the primary force motivating future artists of any kind involves winning the favor of almighty algorithms while maximizing likes over convictions and personal vision, a dark age of empty digital kitsch will addle the minds of the masses. My inclination is to agree with you there, Steve. I think the metrics used to measure the the quality of a piece of media on social media sites and other platforms are often actually not, do not have a huge amount of overlap with what actually brings value to our lives. There may be things that you're very likely to click like on or reshare that are really of quite shallow interest to you, mm-hmm. uh, whereas you, you're less likely to, you know, use the the metric tracked uh, interactions on the platform itself that are all the platform can really care about. There, there are things where you're less likely to do that, but that actual piece of content is much more valuable to you. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of stuff that's clickable and memeable, but it doesn't mean it actually improves your life. I mean, I think about I can have cheeseburger every day, but it, <laughs> it doesn't really really impact my life at all. It just occasionally makes me. Um, chuckle or shake my head. And that was a human creation, by the way. That was not AI. I'd like to see AI try to top I can have cheeseburger. I, I feel like the kind of engagement and value that is easily tracked on digital platforms will end up prioritizing uh, things that people like in a very shallow and non-committal way and things that actually involve you more intellectually or emotionally or whatever will will suffer for that. Yeah. All right, we also heard from Fletch in Discord. Fletch is a, a frequent uh, contributor to discussions there. Chimes in about Tharg's Future Shocks in the British um, comic book series 2000 AD. I guess it's more than a series. It's like an old publication. Um, Fletch says, Tharg's Future Shocks in 2000 AD was kind of a Twilight Zone series of, of one-off weird tales. If memory serves, one of them was the basis of the Richard Stanley movie Hardware. Judge Dredd also occasionally featured a class of adversary called futsies, citizens driven to psychotic outbursts by the future shock of living in Mega City One. Uh, well, you know, in defense of the Tofflers, I don't know if they were quite picturing the creation of like 
uh, mad zombies running amok due to future shock. I think it was more like a a state of uh, uh, mostly characterized by anxiety and stress and all of the the downstream effects of anxiety and stress. Well, I I either don't remember or have not encountered the Futsies myself in uh, the, the the Judge Dredd comics that I've read, but. I think it is important to recognize that the tone, at least for a lot of Judge Dredd comics, is more absurdist and uh, inhumorous, uh, something that I, if you've just seen the movies, you might not get, especially if you've just seen like the more recent uh, film, the Carl Urban one, which was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that, that one, an action-packed uh, flick. But it, um, it does significantly dial down the absurdist humor that is, uh, I think, inherent in the world. But was he the law? Yeah, he's the law, but he also has like, um, like he has a like a like a robot maid with an, a, an Italian accent, if I remember. You know, there's all sorts of really odd things that occur uh, in his life and the life of everyone living in Mega City One. It's um, like it's it's intentionally absurd. When is it my turn to be the law? <laughs> well, you have to go through the program like everybody else. Oh, okay. I guess somebody's got to be the law. Okay, this next message uh, is from email. This comes from Two. Two says, Hi, Joe and Robert. A longtime listener, first-time writer, I wanted to express my deep resonance with your recent episode on Future Shock. As a professional technologist, the discussion struck a chord I couldn't quite articulate before. The concept of Future Shock, akin to culture shock but caused by the relentless march of time and evolving standards, truly resonated with me. In my workplace, my team is often seen as pioneers in innovation, yet we perceive our efforts as merely keeping pace with competitors. This disparity in perception between our groundbreaking work and how it's perceived creates a significant gap between our team, the creators, and our target audience, the users. I want to extend my heartfelt thanks for shedding light on the insights from a 50-year-old novel. Well, it wasn't a novel, but uh, we can get into that. Uh, that so accurately captures the daily challenges my team and I face. Best, Two. Uh, well, First of all, thank you for getting in touch and, and sharing your perspective on that. Uh, I, I find it interesting that you mistakenly thought, based on our discussion, that, that Future Shock is a novel. It is not a novel, but the Tofflers do point out that a lot of the work of Futurology is similar to the work of fiction writing and, and, the, and the work of uh, writing science fiction. Obviously, if you are a disciplined person who's trying to make accurate predictions about reality, you're going to be more constrained probably than a fiction writer because fiction writers uh, have all kinds of different re relationships with reality. Some of them may be trying to go for as as hard and accurate a prediction of what they think will happen in reality as possible. But many writers are going for a kind of more exaggerated satirical uh, approach or are including things they don't think are actually likely to happen in order to, you know, create a world where they can illustrate things about human life or something like that. But they do highlight that there are big similarities between writing science fiction and doing serious futurology. And they point to the work of great science fiction authors as being truly important in helping uh, helping create what they call the shock absorbers for coming changes in, in technology and culture. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, because like on one hand, something like um, like Mega City One from uh, 2000 AD, you know, it's 
it, not really so much a prediction about what um, you know super cities of the future might look like. It's more a, a commentary and kind of a you know a changing commentary on where we are now. Uh, but you know, I guess that's that's always the case with science with science fiction. But then, yeah, you have other works that uh, uh, that engage in both activities. You know, a little bit predictive, uh, but also as always speaking to contemporary anxieties, fears, and hopes. Another thing I want to mention about this email, uh, uh, the writer doesn't say exactly what products it is that they're working on uh, in in the technology space. But still, I think it's interesting that it highlights a lot of us who don't work in the tech space just kind of assume that people who do are like the masters of future progress. They're like the ones who are on top of it. They they figure out what's going to happen next and they've you know, they they understand what's going on. But uh, I think that that may often not be the case. In fact, I think a lot of people who work in the technology sector are just they're they're feeling also confused and overwhelmed and you know they know the one thing the project that they're working on and what they're trying to do to achieve that but may perceive the uh, other you know other changes in technology in the world around them as being a thing that is hard to understand and outside their control and uh and happening faster than they can keep up with yeah Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? time for you to start paying some bills i'm jb smooth and that was a full episode of my new podcast straightforward inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from at&t fiber get what you want without the complicated at&t fiber live like a giggillionaire available wherever you get your podcast limited availability in select areas visit att.com slash hypergig for details Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. (laughs) 
All right. Here's another one. This one comes to us from Taylor. Taylor says, hello, Robin Joe. Happy to oblige your request for decision fatigue and future shock experiences. Like the two of you, I'm not sure what to make of the Top Force predictions about decision fatigue regarding personal style, but I've definitely experienced the phenomenon in another aspect of my life. I've been an avid video game player for as long as I can remember, but have felt overwhelmed in recent years by the sheer quantity of compelling video game releases. When I was growing up, it was a reasonable desire to experience every video game that piqued my interest. But as the medium has grown, that expectation has fled away from me at an accelerating pace. Today, a gamer of any persuasion could glut themselves on their favorite genre day in and day out and never complete all the offerings available to them. I'm certain my assessment is partially colored by the information bias of childhood, when my ability to consume video games was defined by the consoles I owned, my allowance, my parents' content restrictions, and my greater free time. But the data backs me up here. According to the market data company uh, Statista, the number of new video games published on the popular video game platform Steam skyrocketed from 434 in 2012 to 10,963 in 2022. And the rampant development increase isn't the only bit of future shock affecting my favorite hobby. Playing a cooperative, competitive, or narrative video game is definitely a form of quote-unquote serious leisure, akin to reading a book or watching a movie, and is similarly threatened by the many things competing for our attention moment to moment. In response, many game developers compete for user attention by shifting their games to quote-unquote living game models, where content is drip-fed instead of being released as a single discrete experience. All of these changes have introduced a sour frustration into a hobby I've always enjoyed and left me with a constant fear of missing out. If I choose to play X game, what might I be missing from Y and Z game? It's a similar experience to the phenomenon Rob described of uh, browsing a streaming platform until going to bed instead of watching any movies at all. Ultimately, I have had to reconcile myself to the reality that there are many exciting things in the world I don't have time to experience. Perhaps these abundant choices give us greater self-determination than ever before, but the fatigue of making these decisions takes a toll, and I'm not certain whether I'm happier for it. As ever, thank you for creating your wonderfully weird and stimulating podcast. I look forward to the rest of your Future Shock series. Cheers, Taylor. P.S. I also often find myself racing through one game in the anticipation of another game's pending release, which diminishes my enjoyment of both. I imagine this kind of race to keep up with media isn't unique to video games. Well, thank you, Taylor. No, I, I don't think it is. Uh, and yeah, I think this is this is an excellent perspective. And in, in one sense, there's a feeling that like, well, what what does one have to complain about with this particular issue? You know, that there are more great games to enjoy than ever before. But there is this other side to it because we're we're not necessarily always made happier by having more things to choose from. Like there 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 is a there is a psychological cost that comes with this greater diversity of content in the world, even if in certain ways you could you could absolutely say it's a good thing. Yeah, I feel like just 10 years ago, it was more likely that um, my friends and I would be playing the same games. Yeah, you know. And nowadays, it's like there are just so many choices. None of us are playing the same games because, you, I mean, and in a way, you know, they're, they're, we have such great options. You can just you know, whatever if you're more into, uh, you know, simulation uh, versus, uh, you know, some something real time. I don't know. Whatever the distinction, like you're just going to sort of go down that hallway, go down that avenue and your friends are going to go down their own hallways and avenues. And then you, you it seems like it's less often that I have something to connect with 
uh, with them uh, in the video game realm. I've had exactly the same experience. Years ago, it used to be like if I was playing a game that was probably also the same game that my friend was currently playing. And Mm -hmm. now it's like, I don't know. (laughs) Also, I'm rarely playing something new. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I'm always like a f- years behind whatever the, the hot thing is. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, sometimes that's easier because it's already out. It's cheaper. Uh, and you, and it's, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going into this, but it's not like a living system that I have to live with as well. Right. It's, it's gotten all the patches and now it's 10 bucks instead of 60. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but yeah. And the other side, coming back to what Taylor said, these games, the, these days, some of these games are so long and, and you have so many other games or other experiences in life you want to get to it's just uh, you end up feeling this rush uh in the the latter portion of it if you actually complete the game at all um which you know can, makes it feel a little more hollow because it's like I'm, I'm not even completely enjoying uh, the back half of this game because i'm thinking about the next thing that i am going to try and make time to play and um yeah I, I think part of that's a product of of just length and scope of these games the whole play to extinction model on some of them for sure i i as i've said before i, I actually kind of get excited when i see a review for a game and people are like and it's so short i'm like great yeah that's wonderful i totally agree i really appreciate a well-crafted tight video game i like one that's tight it's like the whole experience is there maybe it could even be played in one long sitting and mm-hmm. it's and it's all good because like this whole thing is the main experience you were meaning to get it's not like an open world that you explore for a hundred hours or something of, of yeah. variable quality yeah no grind none of that but anyway taylor yes it does seem we were talking mainly i guess about like uh like books and movies and music in in the episode but i think video games follow uh a, an absolutely similar pattern yeah all right next message comes from matt Matt says, hey, Robin Joe, longtime listener and big fan here. Just wanted to share the perfect example of future shock. Gentlemen, I present you Squidward. Uh, And then there was a link. Uh, Matt says it's a link to a 30 second clip from SpongeBob in which Squidward, SpongeBob's neighbor, ends up in the future and has a short mental breakdown over the changes. Uh, uh, And then Matt says, I know links from strangers on the internet can be dicey. You can also just search Squidward Future uh, and find it easily. Keep on doing what y'all do. Thanks, Matt. Matt, I appreciate that note. I Yes, I am very hesitant to click links in listener emails, not because I don't trust y'all out there, but it's just, you know, it, it, it's smart to be hesitant about uh, clicking things. So, uh, so appreciate the search terms. Anybody else who wants us to click something, that would be helpful uh, uh, as well. <laughs> so this episode uh, specifically is from the first season of SpongeBob. It's episode 14A, and its title is SB129. Um, you, can, you can definitely find clips from this episode all over the place and, and certainly on YouTube. I would advise folks to go for the slightly longer clip. I had not seen this before, uh, before Matt brought it to my attention here. Um, I, I watched it last night with, uh, with my wife, and I think I'm going to have to go back and watch the full uh, episode as well. I agree that this absolutely nails the extreme essence of future shock. <laughs> Because, yes, Squidward is, is in the future where everything is chrome. Um, there are multiple SpongeBob clones greeting him. There's high technology. Um, he's, he's, his eyes have been opened to the, to the realities and paradoxes of time travel. And it causes him to just lower himself to the floor, to the chrome floor, curl up into 
sort of a what is in yoga known as a boat pose and just start going future future (laughs) and uh yeah i feel like this is i'm gonna have to make this my default behavior for any time i feel overwhelmed by technological change but squidward once you're there it's not the future anymore it's the present (laughs) i think he does get back he's like i just want to go back Um, okay but like i say, i need to watch the full episode to to get the, the whole story but it looks marvelous uh I haven't seen a lot of SpongeBob, but what I have seen is super weird. And every time I see something like this, I'm I just reminded of how weird it is and how I, I need to make room for more SpongeBob in my life. Yeah, I don't know any SpongeBob, but uh, this was great. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> okay, I think we need to close it out there for today, but we've got some great messages still in the bag that we'll have to save for next time, including some responses to our episode, our Weird House on uh, Danger Diabolic and yeah. uh, and other things to come. So tune in next week and uh, keep sending the listener mail our way. So yeah, see you next Monday. But as always, we'll have core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays for you. We'll have, uh, we usually have an artifact or a monster fact or something of that nature on Wednesdays. And then on Fridays, we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird movie on Weird House Cinema. Huge thanks to our excellent audio producer, J.J. Posway. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.